Even this world also of the mortals, meaning the little happiness that is available in this world, in the mortal world also, cannot be enjoyed by the one who has never performed any yajna, meaning that who does not maintain a spirit of yajna. So Lord Krishna says that 
There should be yajna meaning a spirit of offering, spirit of sacrifice, spirit of sharing in our life. For the simple reason that whatever we are is due to the contribution of many, many factors other than ourselves. As we say yesterday, there is contribution from all the natural forces called devatas, contribution from the departed ancestors and our parents, contribution from the sages and the teachers and the thinkers, contribution from other human beings in the society, and contribution from other living beings, namely the animals and the plants and trees. So there is contribution from all these in our life. Let there be recognition of this. And therefore, let there be a share for, for them also. Meaning that, let them also have a place in our life. May our life not become so self-centered that nothing has a place in it because we have a place in life of all this. So when all of these, their support is available in our life, it means that we have a place in their life. So they also should have a place in our life. This is basically the principle of yajna. Yajna here does not mean that one has to perform a fire ritual every day. But every day there must be some offering which is what is meant by yajna. And that is what brings about a state of mind, as you say, which is conducive for even enjoyment of whatever things are given to us. Otherwise, not only there is no spiritual progress, so Bhagavad Gita presents primarily this yajna or a spirit of sharing, spirit of reaching out, spirit of offering as the spirit that one should maintain for one's spiritual growth. <coughs> and here Lord Krishna says that if you do not have that spirit, then not only spiritual growth is not possible, even material happiness also is not possible. So therefore emphasizing the importance of yajna, the spirit of sharing, spirit of cooperation, spirit of offering in our life. Secondly, also was said in the verse 33, Sarvam karma khilam partha jnani parisamapyade He partha, he arjuna, all the karma culminates into jnanam or knowledge. <coughs> so Lord, see there are two stages in life. Even Normally there are four stages where we can say the two stages. One is the stage of active involvement, which is what we call grihasthashrama, or the stage of a householder, where there is an active involvement in life. Other is the stage of contemplation, they call the stage of disengagement. So the reason for active involvement is for our growth, and if this involvement, this active involvement, the stage of activity, the stage of you know, doing things in life, being involved with the world, with the family, with the community, if all of that is done with the yajna, in all of that, if there is a spirit always of cooperating, sharing, reaching out, in everything that I do, in all my day-to-day -day activities, when I interact with the people around me, with the world around me, if my attitude is in what way can I contribute? In what way can I offer? In what way can I share or be helpful? If this is my spirit, 
understand that all of this should be done intelligently. Swamiji, if I, if people come to know that here I am to distribute them, they just take away things. So, as I said, your intentions are kept with yourself. At the same time, when you work with the world, always observe your boundaries and, and do it intelligently. I'm not suggesting that you, you don't be practical or pragmatic. Do it pragmatically. But what is important is that we have that spirit. In the, in the, with the excuse that no, no, people will exploit me, that I just, I avoid sharing or, or reaching out, is also not right. So this is a spirit. If this is what we maintain in our day-to-day life, in all way, as many interactions as possible, then that is conducive to one's inner growth, one's spiritual growth. And surely in course of time, it will give, give rise to a state of mind when the value for knowledge arises. That has to happen. That is why first is Karma Kanda in the Veda, the section dealing with karma of the rituals, Second is Upanishad or Jnana Kanda, section dealing with knowledge. In our life also, first is Grihastha Ashrama, meaning the stage of a householder, then is the stage of renunciation, which is meant for the pursuit of knowledge. Whether a person renounces, you know, in the, in the formal manner or not is not important. What is important is that one enjoys a freedom within, a freedom from various desires and demands, etc., freedom from various impulses, freedom from ragadveshas. As we go proceed with our life, we should progressively acquire that inner freedom. So what is meant by renunciation is that there is inner freedom. Then you have a choice what to do. Whether to become a renunciate or not to become a renunciate is one's choice. But at least emotionally or mentally we should have that freedom from our emotions, freedom from impulses, freedom from inner pressure, put it this way. Freedom from inner pressure to do something. That freedom from inner pressure means an inner leisure, an inner comfort, an inner harmony or an inner peace. This is what progressively we should attain. Then we would say that we are living life intelligently. And what is the intelligence? Intelligence is yajna, the spirit of yajna. Then next stage will be knowledge. In the Upanishad it is said that tad vijnanatam saha guru mirvahabhikachet for knowledge of that, for knowledge of that, one should approach the teacher. Samit parnahi shrotriyam brahmanishtam with a bunch of dry faggots in hand as a gift to the teacher, one should approach a qualified or competent teacher. <coughs> so therefore, that's what Lord Krishna says next. Sarvam karmakilam partha jnane parishamapyade. All activity or all engagement will result into knowledge which is disengagement. If engagement or activities are performed properly, then, as we say, that every action becomes a means of getting rid of some likes and dislikes. Otherwise, if you live a self-centered life, every action becomes a means of accumulating more likes and dislikes, and there were more, more discomfort and more disquiet within myself. On the other hand, when my vyavahara is characterized by the yajna or 
or, or a spirit of offering or sharing, then progressively mind becomes quieter and quieter. Then that is how karma is said to culminate into knowledge. <coughs> when karma or action or duties are performed with in the spirit of yajna or yoga, karma yoga, it culminates into knowledge. Then Lord Krishna says, Arjuna, listen from me. What should be done in order to, to assure that the Gurus will give you the knowledge? So next verse, verse 34. Tadvidhi pranipatena Pariprasnena sevaya Upadekshyanti te jnanam Jnaninas tattva darshinaha Tadvidhi May you know that. So, here, by Tatvidhi, may you know that. What Lord Krishna means is, may you know the sure means of, of winning over the teachers, the, the sure means of gaining the Upadesha or teaching from the teachers. <coughs> so, Lord Krishna says that, it is not enough that one approaches the teacher, but it is also necessary important that the teacher also should be favorable to the student. And therefore, it is necessary that a certain a harmony or a certain conducive atmosphere be established between the teacher and the student. And then only the process of teaching will really become fruitful. So what should a student do? What should an aspirant do in order to create that atmosphere, to, gain, to acquire the grace of the teacher, to make the teacher favorable to oneself? Lord Krishna says three things here. This is what a student should do. Tadvidhi pranipatena pariprasnena seva. That means jnana sadhanam. What's the means by which you will surely at least gain the knowledge? Pranipatena pariprasnena sevaya. Pranipata means dirganamaskar, long prostration, falling flat at the feet of the teacher. This is called pranipata. Pariprasna, asking relevant questions, which questions express your desire or expresses what you want to know and seva serving the teacher. So first is pranipata, dirganamaskar, long prostration. Second is seva, serving the teacher. And third is pariprasna, asking the, asking appropriate questions. <coughs> With these three things, say Arjuna, you surely will be able to win over the heart of the teacher and the teacher will definitely impart knowledge to you. So we have to create in teacher. We have to motivate the teacher to impart knowledge to us, put it this way. <coughs> so even teachers also need motivation. Motivation not 
just for teaching, but motivation for imparting a knowledge to a given aspirant or a given seeker. Many teachers should feel convinced that here is the eligible or a fit student. That's all. Not that he has any other need for him to share his knowledge. But then they say that, that if there is a need on the part of teacher also that there should be a fit or eligible disciple. So Lord Krishna says that as a disciple you have to prove your eligibility. That means the disciple also has a certain something to do. And then the teacher has something to do. What does disciple have to do? To create an atmosphere wherein the teacher is pleased to impart the knowledge to the disciple. And for that, the disciple has to reveal the inner attitudes. The first act which reveals the inner attitude is, is pranipata, dirga namaskar, or long prostration. This is symbolic. What prostration means, stands for, is that, and we, we prostrate, we fall and feed the teacher, meaning that, I am surrendered to you. I will trust in you. Surrendered meaning that, I, I have trust in you. And, I, I have confidence that I am in the right place, I am now at your disposal and therefore do whatever you want to do with me. I am available to you for you to do whatever you want to do to me. So sir, this, this prostration indicates Shraddha or an implicit trust that the student has for the teacher. I am not suggesting that you should have it right away. But this is one of the important requirements. Maybe it will not happen in the first meeting, it may take perhaps a certain amount of acquaintance. And to also know the person that the teacher is, before Shraddha or the trust is created. Sometimes it happens in the first sight also. You know, it's like the love at the first sight. This happens. You know, you just come in, in you know, in presence of someone and just you feel. This is what we call the the, the, the runanabandha, the past association also may be there. Or karma also may be there which may bring us together. But shraddha, shraddha means a trust or a faith that the student has. That the teacher is my well-wisher, number one. That I am safe and secure under his tutelage. And that he is competent to communicate and therefore, whatever the teacher says is, is uh, trustworthy. And I can trust whatever the teacher says. In the veracity of the teacher, that what he says is right. So teacher is our link. Actually, what we want to study is Upanishad or Vedanta. What the Upanishads recommend is one must listen to the self, meaning that one must deliberate upon the nature of the self. One should deliberate upon the nature of one's own self, which is one that is to be known, because self is the subject matter of Vedanta. 
And how do I deliberate upon the nature of the self? By deliberating upon the meaning of the passages of Upanishads. Where Upanishad says, you are Brahman. I am Atma Brahman. This self is Brahman or limitless. So what does this statement mean? So deliberating upon the meaning of the statement that I, the self, is Brahman. What does it mean? And Upanishad, in fact, uh, devotes itself in unfolding the meaning of the statement. Some Upanishads are very short texts, some are medium texts, some are large texts also, but the subject matter is one, to reveal the nature of the self which is Brahman or limitless. So what is to be done is, one should deliberate upon this, this, this becomes, you know, in what way is it? So, this is what the teacher unfolds. That's what the Upanishad unfolds. In as much as they say that it is not right for one to study the Upanishads oneself, they should be studied with the help of the teacher because one, requ- they, one requires that the statement of Upanishad be unfolded. What is meant by unfoldment is that the teacher, in fact, explains the meanings in the context of the student. The student has a certain background, certain understanding, certain emotional things, certain social, whatever background it is. And therefore, the teacher unfolds the meaning of these passages, which is, which is in the context of the student. Even when you read books, then also books are addressed to the audience in general. Whereas, in the live hearing between the teacher and the student, the live communication, the teacher addresses the student as such. And therefore, makes that whole delivery relevant to the student. That's the reason why it is prescribed that we should not ourselves delve into the study of Upanishads, but rather should carry that out at the feet of the teacher. So teacher becomes our link to Upanishad. Upanishad is linked to God, of course, basically, or Brahman, the Self. And so we want to study Upanishad. And for that, the teacher becomes our link. So therefore we look upon the teacher and Upanishad and God really as not different. Upanishad unfolds the nature of God. The teacher unfolds what Upanishad says, and therefore we look upon them as not different. Therefore, what is important is that my mind has that attitude of devotion, of reverence, of trust in the teacher, so that whatever the teacher says, my mind is able to listen and grasp, that there is no resistance from me. Otherwise, we do not quite trust a person, then we always, we always wonder and we question. Often, there is a resistance, particularly if what they say does not meet with my own belief, my own conclusion, then I start questioning their conclusion rather than my conclusion. When I have trust in the teacher, then I will, if, if what the teacher says is different from what my present understanding is, then I will rather question my understanding rather than what the teacher says. This is what Shraddha does. 
So the Shraddha, the trust, enables me to identify with the teacher and create a distance with my own ego. Because if ego performs an inquiry into itself, it's not going to work because ego will always want to retain its existence. So what is important is to create a distance with our own ego, meaning create distance with our own present conclusions, our own present opinions, our own present notions, create distance and analyzes notions or conclusions in light of what the Upanishad teaches. If I find that the conclusions are not right, then I am ready to drop them. If I find that they are right, then there is a validation. So what basically Vedanta does is it addresses the various notions or conclusions we have about our own self. Because as we have been saying every day, that the perception I have about myself or the conclusions or notions I have about myself is, it decides what I am, whether I am happy or unhappy. And therefore what is important is to subject my conclusions or opinions about myself to the scrutiny of the teaching of Upanishad. And my conclusions of myself also creates conclusions of the world and about God, all of this. And that is possible when I can create a distance with my own conclusions. Usually a person is identified with his beliefs and conclusions and opinions. And usually a person is not ready to leave them. I can only leave, I can leave them only when I'm identified with someone who I revere more than myself. The teacher inspires confidence in me. And therefore, I, I give him more credit and worth, worth than I give to my own self. So that is when I will be available or willing to drop or let go my present conclusions and notions. This is called Shraddha. So this Pranipata, this long prostration of the feet of the teacher, indicates an implicit trust, what you call Shraddha, Bhakti, so Shraddha. Very important. Lord Krishna will say later on in this text itself, Shraddhavan Lamate Jnana. <coughs> so Shraddha. Then Lord Krishna says Seva, serve the teacher. In those days anyway, the disciple would live with the teacher and therefore had ample opportunity to serve. And the amenities were very few. And therefore the needs of service was also great. Today you open the tap and then the water comes right away. Those days perhaps you have to go to the river which may be far away and, and, and fetch the water. Today you just vacuum, you know, in ten minutes you can do the whole. You know, those days it was not easy. Microwaves are there, you can cook, you know. So those days things would take their own time. It was a labor-intense life. And there were ample opportunities on the part of the disciple to serve the teacher. You get hot water in your showers. Now you have to heat the water if necessary. <coughs> and so the disciple would wake up before the teacher wakes up, make all preparation for the teacher, for his morning things, for his bath and everything, for his prayers. Whatever teacher does, if he does huma every day, then make all those preparations. And no cooking, go out in the community, bag the food, 
and bring and feed the teacher first and then seek his permission whether you should eat or not. If anything left over and he says, okay, eat, then fine. If he doesn't say, then you are, you know, that day is gone. But suppose then, I, can I not go again for bhiksha, you know, if the teacher did not give me anything? No, once only. And then you have to perhaps, you know, uh, massage his legs or whatever, you know, whatever he needs and, and go to sleep after he sleeps. Wake up before he wakes up and go to sleep after he sleeps. We like ready always, like Hanuman, that's all. Ready to serve. <coughs> And what this service does is, it requires for me to serve somebody and please that person, requires that I must become familiar with every need of that person. I should become familiar with all their likes and dislikes. And if I want to please the person, I should fulfill all their likes and dislikes, all their needs. If those likes and dislikes are different from my likes and dislikes, then I should drop my likes and dislikes, my comfort and my needs should be, you know, dropped. And the comforts and needs and likes and dislikes of the Guru should be given predominance. So automatically my likes and dislikes get dropped. And in the process I also get tuned up with the teacher. He is my role model also. Automatically I start imbibing many qualities that the teacher has also. Thus this seva, this service, creates in me, also enables me to really know the person and creates in me the bhakti or the devotion of the person. The shraddha, bhakti and dhyana. Kaivali Upanishad says, shraddha, bhakti, dhyana, yoga, adavahi. So shraddha for the teacher, bhakti meaning reverence for the teacher. These things may or may not be needed for learning physical sciences. So when we went to college, nobody said I have shraddha and bhakti. In fact, these days when students calculate, you know, how, what, what amount of money you are paid for every class. See, so we are paying $33 for 45 minutes, Swamiji. And the professor only took 40 minutes today, 35 minutes today. Those days for no fees were there. And bhakti reverence, which we may not need for studying physical sciences, but which we very much need for studying Vedanta. Because the subject matter of Vedanta is my own self, and therefore this is much needed. <coughs> and now when you find that the teacher is pleased with you, with your sincerity, when you see the teacher pleased, then pariprasna. Prasannam tamanuprapya pruche jnata vimatmana. Viveka Chodamani says that when you find the teacher is pleased with you, then you ask questions. Don't ask right away. Don't ask at the wrong time. Otherwise you may be dismissed. So ask a question at a time when you are quite sure that the questions will be answered. Until then wait. Pariprasnena sevaya pariprasnena. Ask a question. So not questioning, but asking questions is considered very important. It is said that this knowledge should be imparted only when asked for and not otherwise. So asking questions is not a formality as such. It is in 
because the student has gone to the teacher to know something, which means that in his mind various deliberations are going on, and so some churning is going on in his mind, he wants to, he's trying to understand things. And so he may have thought about things, he may have deliberated upon them, and he may be wondering what it is. And therefore the question that a person asks represents his own deliberations, his own churning, his own intellectual process. That means that he is not asking some textbook question, but he is asking something that is very relevant to him. There is something about, he has thought about life. And therefore he wants to understand things. He finds that it is important to understand certain things in life. He has discovered that. He has discovered that it is important to understand what is the nature of Ishvara? What is the nature of the universe? What is my relationship with them? Who really, what is my real nature? So, these questions must have occurred to the student. That shows that he, he is a learning mind. As I said, when we say Sarvam Karma Kalampa, all the karma culminates in knowledge, it means that when we, when we live our life properly, then this mind which is usually an acting, active mind gets transformed into a learning mind. In the beginning, the pleasures are important. A time comes when knowledge becomes important. Therefore, when the student asks the question, the teacher knows that he is a seeker of knowledge. The teacher also gets an estimate of what the actually the state of mind of the student is, what kind of things he is thinking. So we find Upanishads opening with questions, some of them. Like you know, Upanishad says, whether the student comes to teacher and says, what is it that makes his mind work? What is because of which this, this prana is functioning? What is because of which the eyes see? Who makes the ears hear? What is it? That's the question. Another Upanishad says, when the, the disciple comes and says, What is it, sir, knowing which everything as well becomes known? So students are thinking in their own way, because of their own background, because of their own exposure to whatever kind of satsang they have had, or whatever orientation they have. So different people have different ways of thinking. Then teacher comes to know what it is that he wants to know, what is his background? Pariprasnena. Long prostration, serving the teacher, asking the questions. With this, surely the teachers will be pleased with you. Upadekshandite jnanam jnanina tattvadarshinaha. The jnanina, the learned, tattvadarshina, the wise. The learned and the wise teachers. Lord Krishna uses plural here. Jnaninaha, Tattvadarshinaha, Upadekshanti. The plural is not meant that there are many people. The plural is used only for showing respect. That the learned and the wise teacher will certainly impart the teaching to you. Upadekshanti te jnanam, te jnanam upadekshanti. They will communicate or impart the knowledge to you. <coughs> then Lord Krishna is quite sure that things will take place. When competent teachers 
communicate the knowledge to a competent student, the knowledge has to take place. But for that, a certain environment has to be created, and that is created by the student with this Pranipada, Seva, and Pariprasna. <coughs> so, Lord, if I gain the knowledge as imparted by the teacher, what will happen? So, what does this knowledge do to us? That is said in the verse 35. Yajnatvana punar moham evam yasyasi pandava yena bhutanya sheshena drakshasyatmanyathomai Yajnatva, knowing which, he pointed out, hey Arjuna, evam punar moham nayasyasi, you shall not again be deluded in this manner. Hey Arjuna, the kind of delusion that you have, the kind of confusion that you have, the kind of wrong notions that you have, which has created this grief and sorrow in you, so it is very clear, as Bhagavad Gita teaches and as Shankaraja explains, that so-called grief is the product of moha or delusion, where moha means, as I said, the false perceptions about oneself. So false perceptions about oneself or false wrong opinions or notions about oneself, wrong notions or opinions about oneself is the cause of sorrow. Here, Arjuna, you will no more be sad, you'll no more have sorrow, no more you'll have grief. Because the cause of grief will go away as a result of gaining this knowledge. What knowledge does is, it removes ignorance. What does ignorance do? Ignorance causes, as I said, the identification with my body, with my mind, with my intellect. What is in fact non-self is taken to be the self, and therefore, I take myself to be as good as this body, or my mind, or the intellect. And therefore, I look upon myself as a mortal being subject to birth and death. I look upon myself as a limited being, one, one small insignificant being, that's what I take myself to be. And therefore, on account of looking upon myself as small, inadequate, or helpless, that is what makes me unhappy or sad. So this is the situation of every human being and the situation also of Arjuna. So basically what Arjuna wants, anybody wants is to become free from this sadness, free from sorrow, free from unhappiness, free from <coughs> sense of smallness, helplessness. That's what everybody wants. <coughs> so Lord Krishna says that is what will happen. <coughs> But how can knowledge remove my smallness? How can knowledge remove my inadequacy? How can knowledge remove the fact that I am one among many? How can knowledge remove the sense of isolation? How can knowledge remove my insecurity and fear? How can knowledge do that? Knowledge can do that only if 
the insecurity or the fear or the smallness or inadequacy, if all of these are born of ignorance, there no knowledge can remove them. <coughs> so Lord Krishna says, in reality, there's no reason for you to feel small. There's no reason for you to feel unhappy or insecure. Because you are not small, you are limitless being. Fearlessness is your nature. And never happiness or completeness is your nature. And what you take yourself to be is quite contrary to what you really are. This ignorance creates these notions in me where I take myself to be quite contrary to what I really am. And therefore, the one who is limitless takes himself to be a limited being. One who is whole or complete takes himself to be an incomplete being. One who takes an inadequate being. So these are the kind of notions I entertain about myself, not because they are the reality of me, but because of ignorance of myself. <coughs> Yajnatva, therefore, Arjuna, when you come to know the true nature of yourself, you recognize that you are Brahman, that you are non-dual, that you are limitless. That's what Lord Krishna says. Yena bhutani asheshena drakshasi atmani. Arjuna, when you will know yourself truly, then you find that your, your concept or your understanding of yourself will undergo a total transformation. Right now you think that you are confined to this one body, that's all you know, you think you are. You'll find that no, that's not what you are. You are the very consciousness that in fact encompasses not only this body, the whole universe. That you are not located in this body, you're not confined a given time or place, in fact, you're encompassing. So this knowledge brings about a complete transformation in my understanding or knowledge of myself. Yenu bhutani, asheshana, atmani, drakshasi. You know yourself as limitless and find that all the beings in fact are in you. I mean nothing is apart from you. As I say, like a small little ornament, which thinks that is different from all other ornaments and therefore suffers from a sense of separation from others. So then the ornament is told that, look, you are not just an ornament or a name and form, but your true nature is gold. If that shift takes place, ornament, or in perception of your himself, that ornament recognizes that I am not just a little form and name, but the essence of myself is gold. If that shift takes place then, as gold, ornaments find that all ornaments are in me. I am the self of all the ornaments. Nothing is apart from me. I am apart from everything, but nothing is apart from me. <coughs> so these children asked me the other day, what is beyond this universe? You know? What is beyond the universe? I just said, what do you think? Then people say, no, there is nothing beyond the universe, there is some space, things, things like that they were thinking about. I said, God is beyond the universe. But they have learned in their classes, God is everything. God is everything, then how is it beyond the universe? God is the universe. I said, all right. See, if you have a number of ornaments, golden ornaments, then you say that the gold is in all ornaments, right? So yes. 
If ornaments of the world, then gold is in all ornaments, yes. When gold is in all the ornaments, then a bangle is gold, right? Yes. An earring is gold, right? Yes. But can you say that gold is bangle? A bangle cannot be without gold, but is it necessary that gold has to be bangle for it to be gold? She says, no, children could understand that. So when gold is in all the ornaments, is it not that simultaneously it is beyond all the ornaments also? Yeah. What is meant is that ornaments can be without gold, but gold can be ornament or without being ornament also. So gold is, if gold is all the ornaments, gold has to be beyond the ornaments also. If God is this universe, God must be beyond the universe also. So that is what we told them, you know. This is what we are telling you anyway. Each one of his like an ornament. Each one everybody else. Like a Bengal thinking that I am different from my earring and different from this and different from that. Not recognize that there are differences. We don't say there are no differences. At some level there are differences. Certainly your body is different from my body, your mind is different from my mind, your personality is different from my personality. There's no question about it. Vedanta does not say there is no duality. He says non-duality in spite of duality. And so, even though the personalities are different, the point is the person, the self, the consciousness in all the personalities is one. <coughs> so what Vedanta is teaching us is to shift the identification from this one body-mind complex to the consciousness which is my nature, like an honor being being told, it shifts your identification from your form to the content gold that you are. You will see from the standpoint of gold, you'll find all the ornaments are in me. So from the standpoint of self-consciousness, you realize that everything is in me. Yena bhutani, asheshana, atmi, drakshasi. By this knowledge, you will see all the beings in you. You recognize that you are the self of all. Nothing is separate from you. If nothing is separate from you, tell me what do I need to acquire now? I need to acquire something as long as I think that something is different from me. But if nothing is separate from me, I don't know. You know, how am I to acquire something? Gold has nothing to acquire. But Swami, Lord, they, I know them to be all in me, meaning that I am the self. But how about you? me, Lord Krishna says, I, Vasudeva, a Brahman is your own self. As Brahman, you recognize that everything is in you, you are the self of all, you are one non-dual self, which means that there's nothing to limit you. What all this means is that otherwise the world limits me. As long as I think that I am separate from you and you are separate from me, then I feel excluded from you. What is meant by limiting is that I am not what you are, and you are not what I am, and therefore I am just this much only, and nothing more, which means that I am limited. <coughs> when I recognize that, in fact, I alone am. There is nothing apart from I, then there is no sense of limitation. I become free from all sense of limitation, isolation, of exclusion. There is no reason for me then to feel a sense of smallness, no reason for me to have sadness at all, 
Here, Arjuna, you know, you'll no more be deluded. You'll be no more sad. Yajnatvanapunarvoham ivam yasasipanava Once having gained this knowledge, then of course ignorance cannot come back. That means that never will you be deluded thinking that I'm just Arjuna. I'm only so and so. These are all my relatives. I am theirs. They are mine. And what will I do without them? What will happen to them? These questions will not remain because you find that all there is is just oneself, which is not subject to birth or death or any change, which is ever limitless. <coughs> and therefore, you become free from this delusion and the grief born of delusion. <coughs> and in the next few verses, Lord Krishna himself sings the glory of this knowledge. Says in next verse, Api-che-dasi-pāpe-bhyah-sarve-bhyah-pāpa-kṛttamah-sarve-bhyah-pāpa-kṛttamah-sarve-bhyah-pāpa-kṛttamah-sarve-bhyah-pāpa-kṛtt
all of these shows I'm suffering from this inadequacy. That does not go. The self-dissatisfaction doesn't go, regardless of what I do, what I become. So understand, samsara does not mean that I am because I am born or because I am doing things. That is not what is meant by samsara. What is samsara is what makes me do those things. It is sense of inadequacy. We said yesterday that wise person also may be very active, much more active than we are. But what prompts not is not action which says whether a person is bound or free. It is what is it behind the action. For a wise person, as we said, the action is an expression of his happiness, expression of his fullness. For another wise person, action is a means of happiness. For a wise person, it is an expression of happiness. So action itself doesn't show whether or not person is bound. Nothing, what, is, what is meant by samsara is this inner sense of inadequacy, inner sense of dissatisfaction with oneself, inner sense of discomfort that one feels, which dis- discomfort always puts pressure on me, the inner pressure. <coughs> And that is, con- that is compared to an ocean because just as ocean is shoreless, so also regardless of what I do, this just does not go. So this ocean of samsara, meaning this inadequacy which has no beginning and there seems to have no end, how will it go? Jnana plavenaiva, by the raft of knowledge. Arjuna, understand that what you need is knowledge in your life in order to become free from sense of inadequacy. Not an action, not achievements. No achievement will ever make you adequate. The knowledge, the adequacy is your nature. The one who takes himself inadequate, in fact, is adequate. So recognize that. You are not what you take yourself to be. And therefore you've taken things for granted. Subject them to scrutiny of inquiry. All notion that you, who says that you're inadequate? So I'm telling you, how do you say that? Oh Swamiji, I was born the other day. Who was born? I was born. I'm going to die. Hey, yeah, this body was born. The body will die. Oh, I'm very sad. Very sadness. Sadness is in mind. You are knower of the sadness. I'm restless. Where is restlessness? You're the knower of restlessness. It is in mind. So whatever kind of, when we ask him, who are you, whatever kind of uh, the uh, introduction he comes up with, that I am so and so, I am such and such person's father. Hey, the father, father belongs to this body. Hey, I am mother, that belongs to body. I am happy, hey, that belongs to mine. I am unhappy, that also belongs to mine. I am successful, that belongs to intellect. I am not successful, that also belongs to intellect. Who are you? All, what all designations you are giving, they all belong to something else, they don't belong to you. Then who am I? Well, all right, then listen. That you are different, because you are in fact judging yourself based, you are looking there and describing yourself. It's like looking at the mirror and saying, I am I'm such and such. Oh Swamiji, my face is distorted looking at the mirror. But the distortion is in the mirror, not in your face. Oh, there's a big black, you know, there is a scar on my face. That's not in you, that's in the mirror. So what this fellow is doing is, whatever defects that are in the mirror, he is looking, thinking, they are all in his face, and then he is feeling sad about that. 
So learn to separate what belongs where. Understand all the defects belong to the mirror. They don't belong to your face. And so also all the limitations belong to the mind. They belong to body. They don't belong to you. Because if limitedness was your nature, you will be happy being limited. That's the whole thing. If you were indeed limited then, you'll be happy being limited. Fire is hot, so fire is comfortable being hot. But water is not comfortable being hot because heat is not the nature of water. So you heat the water, the water struggles to give up the heat because it's not its nature. And so also you are constantly struggling to get rid of this inadequacy, get rid of, that means it is not your nature. <coughs> Therefore Lord Krishna says, the only thing that can relieve a person from unhappiness or sorrow is the knowledge of the self, nothing else. Other things, I mean, you know, if you want to go to heavens, then you, the means are available. You want to become wealthy, all of the, for that different means are available. Different actions are available, different means are available, rituals are available, a lot of things are available. But if you want to become free from sorrow, the only means available is self-knowledge. For the simple reason that sorrow is the product of ignorance of the self or wrong notions about the self. And therefore, the right understanding alone will release you from that. <coughs> Sarum jnana plavena by the plava. Plava means a raft of knowledge. Not even a boat, just a raft of knowledge. You can cross this ocean of sin, meaning ocean of suffering, which arises from these wrong notions, and knowledge will dispel those notions. You'll know truly as you are, and there's no question of sin. This business of sin, etc., is only when there is a sense of doership anyway. You'll realize that you are actionless, therefore there is no kartrutva in you. Only when a karta is there or a doer is there, the question of papa punya or virtue and vice comes. And thus you'll be released from both, not only sin but from virtue also. <coughs> Meaning you'll be liberated. You'll achieve the goal that you are seeking. <coughs> Verse 37 gives another example. Because some wise person says, some means wise and half, they say, you know, other over wise person says, that even if you cross the ocean of sin, still sin remains, you know. Even if you cross with raft, the thing, the ocean still remains. Therefore, Lord Krishna gives another example <coughs> in the verse 37. Yathaidham sisamidhognihi Bhasmasat kurute arjuna Jnana agni sarva karmani Bhasmasat kurute tatha Here Arjuna just has Samiddha Agni, Samyak Iddha, well-lighted fire. Basmasat Kurde reduces to ashes. Edhamsi, the firewood, just as a well-ignited fire. 
reduces the firewood to ashes, leaves nothing. Doesn't matter what kind of wood it is. As long as it is combustible, whatever it is, whether it is sandalwood, or whether it is uh, teak wood, or whether it is neem wood, anything it is there, it will burn anything. Whatever is combustible. Meaning whatever kind of karma it is. And also, different words may indicate different kinds of karma. All of that are burned to ashes. Just as the well-lit well fire burns all the firewood to ashes. Tatha, in a manner similar to that, jnana agnihi, the fire of knowledge. Sarva karmani basmasat kurde. So also, the fire of knowledge reduces to ashes all the karma. Meaning, the sense of kartratva or the doership, basically. Karma means action, but actions are performed by the karta or the agent of action. But this knowledge, in fact, will eliminate, will dispel the notion that you are a karta or you are an agent of action. And therefore, you'll become free from all karma, become free from everything. <coughs> Here, Lord Krishna compares the knowledge with fire. That's what we were telling children. Why, what is, the, what is the color of this cloth? Orange. Have you seen this color elsewhere? Yes, it is color of fire. What does fire do? Says fire, uh, somebody says fire cooks food. Somebody says fire lights up things. Good. Fire burns things, right? So fire burns, fire burns impurity and fire dispels darkness. So knowledge also burns impurities and dispels darkness of ignorance. Therefore, knowledge, fire is compared, knowledge is compared to fire. <coughs> so jnana agni, the fire of knowledge. First, what the knowledge does is, it burns all impurities. It burns various notions in my mind. What is knowledge? Knowledge is simple. I am non-dual. I am Brahman. I am, I am limitless. This is knowledge. No big deal. This is it. So what does this knowledge do? Every time now a notion arises in my mind that I am a doer. You mean I say, wait a minute, where does a doer come from? Doer doesn't belong to you, it belongs to buddhi, you are Brahman. I am an experiencer, you are Brahman. I am happy, you are Brahman. I am unhappy. So one thing, in Hindi they say, sab ki ek dava, you know, so there is one, you know, there is one medicine for all diseases. What is it? Tattvamasi, that's all. Every disease or every sorrow can be solved just yeah, by one, one medicine. I am Brahman. Anytime mind says, mind comes up with a sorrow, hey, you, are, you are Brahman. Who is, who is, who is sad? Very sorrow. Still Swami doesn't go, okay, doesn't matter. But then, if you really know, if these words really mean something to you, then it will do its job. That is why it takes a long time of listening to scriptures and reflecting again and again that these words become meaningful to us. That's all. All this process is only to, to bridge the gap between the word and the meaning. See, when we were small little, when growing up toddlers and infants, we didn't know anything. That time, mommy, you know, papa. So, every time, mommy, this is your papa, dad, dad. It must have taken some time, you know, to recognize that this, then I, I identify that person as dad. Now when the word dad is occurred, immediately meaning flashes in my mind. What is this? 
Child doesn't know. It's a flower. Second time, what is this? Flower. When it's done five times, fifteen, twenty times, then the child knows flower means this, meaning that the word flower and the meaning flower, they get connected. So then alone the word becomes meaningful. In the beginning the child may, sometimes children talk all kinds of things, they don't know what they're talking about. Sometimes they just repeat what the elders are talking. We think the child is so smart, he doesn't know anything, doesn't know, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking, but they talk. The words are not meaningful. Then the parrots keep on repeating, you know. As one old parrot told the little parrots, the, the hunter is coming, beware of the net, beware of the hunter's net. So parrots, little parrots started repeating, the hunter is coming, beware of his net, hunter is coming, beware of his net. So words are there, but what it means they don't know. Hunter came also, spread his net, they all got trapped in there, and then also repeating, hunter is coming, beware of the net. So what Sarvanam Mananam Nidhyasana are meant for is simply to connect the meaning word Brahman with what it is, that's all. Then the job is done. So if you, Atma or Drashtavya, when you see the meaning of this word Brahman or Atma, then the thing is done. Then every time word Brahman is uttered, immediately the right meaning flashes in your mind, that is called knowledge. Until then it remains word or a sound. Until then, there is what we call parokshajnanam, you know, an indirect knowledge. What is parokshajnanam? When the word immediately flashes a meaning. That's called parokshajnanam. So we may have heard about things also, about some, I don't know, some new technology and some new robot or something like that, you know. We, you know, we know what intellectually. When you see that thing, then you know, that becomes aparokshajnanam. Then when that word is assured, then you know what it means. What's a rocket? When you go and when you see this NASA's, you know, thing, they know what a rocket is, what a space rocket is. <clears throat> so also, Shravanam, listening to scriptures and Mananam, reflection upon them, Nidhyasana, all of these are meant to make this word meaningful to us. So that becomes so, Aham Brahman, I am Brahman, that becomes meaningful to me. Once it does, then in light of that, every notion that arises in my mind, I can, I can just dispel it or demolish it by saying, no, happy is not right Brahman, unhappy is not right Brahman. Jnanagnihi sarva karmanihi, so the fire of knowledge reduces to ashes all the notions born of ignorance. By karma we should understand kartrutva, it, it also, the kartrutva sense of doership also is a product of ignorance. And any other notion, that I am happy, unhappy, I am so and so, each one of these notions, in the light of the fact that I am Brahman, is demolished. Sarva karmani, without exception, the knowledge will reduce the ignorance, the notions born of ignorance, to ashes. That's how Lord Krishna is singing the glory of this knowledge. <coughs> Let us take one more verse, the verse 38. <coughs> Again, Lord Krishna is singing the glory of this knowledge. Continues. Nahi jnane na sadrusham Pavitramiha vidyate Tatsvayam yoga samsiddha Kale natmani vindate 
So Swamiji's favorite uh, sentence, Nahi jnana sadusham pavitra mehavidyate. Therefore in this world there is no purified equivalent to knowledge. But Swami only says this much, Nahi jnana sadusham, that's all. There is nothing equal to knowledge, nothing e- e- equal to knowledge. Sadrusham, nothing similar to knowledge, nothing equal to knowledge. The verse says, there is no purifier equal to knowledge. In the world there are many things that purify. Taking a dip in the Ganges also purifies you. Fire also is a purifier. So there are many things, you perform certain, act, certain rituals, certain religious acts also, they purify you. So in the world, there are many means of purification. When you do japa, for example, when you do puja, when you do chanting, when you do meditation, all of these also are means of purification of the mind. So when you go for pilgrimages, when you perform various rituals, when you perform various pujas, or when you take dip in the holy rivers, etc., all of these, in fact, bring about purification. Thus, in the world, there are many means of self-purification. This attitude of yoga, meaning attitude of worship also, is purification, purifying the mind. So Lord Krishna says, yes, there are many means of self-purification. Jnana in the but there is nothing comparable to knowledge in purifying the self, purifying the mind. Why is it so? Because every other means of purification involves some action. So when I take a dip in the Ganges, the, the doer is involved. When I perform a ritual, the doer is involved. Even when I perform, when I do a japa or, or even meditation, then also doer is involved, karta is involved. So whereas the other religious or spiritual means do bring about purification of mind, still the notion of kartratva, the notion of doership does not understand that. The karta, the doer still remains. What does this knowledge do? Knowledge, in fact, dispels the very notion of the doer. Karmani, akarmayaf pashed, as Lord Krishna taught, that when we really scrutinize what is the nature of this doer, I am the doer or I am the performer action, alright? Just pay attention to that and analyze the nature of the doer, scrutinize. This fellow says, I am a bangle. All right, let us scrutinize what is the nature of this bangle. Then you find that bangle is nothing but gold. And so also, when you really pay attention to the nature of karta or the doer, what do you find? He is nothing but consciousness. Consciousness, when identifies with a certain thought of mind, becomes doer. Consciousness identifying another thought of mind becomes knower, becomes experiencer. So whether you call it doer, knower, experiencer, subject, jiva, individual, ego, all of these when we analyze what are the contents of this, it turns out to be nothing but consciousness, nothing but Brahman. Therefore, this knowledge dispels the very idea of the doer. Other means of purification retain the idea of doer and therefore that impurity that I am a doer, I am an agent of action, that remains. Whereas this knowledge dispels the very idea that I am a doer. 
Therefore, Lord Krishna says, there is no purifier equal to the knowledge, equal to the knowledge of self. <coughs> okay, we'll continue in the next class. Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashyakrutau Vande Bhagavantau Punah Punah Ishvaro Gururat 